Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Don't die, Chuck. <laughs> That's what's thing. There yep. may not be a song there. You know, I'll yeah. tell you the story of that song. If okay. it does, it was recorded in Richmond, Virginia hmm. in 1994. It's a song about John Fashante called Look at That House Up There. And that is the great Dix Denny on lead guitar there. From oh, the weirdos. Wait a minute. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that is not. <laughs> that is that is not the story of that. <laughs> oh <What>? no. <laughs> that is me on is, guitar, Bob. That's well, you're on there too, but it's Dix <laughs> that does I, that riff. All right, oh, I'm playing the noodling. It's doing the riff. I'm doing the noodling. The riff is the powerful part, Chuck. Well, the good part would be <laughs> not Mike. Does, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Is that what you're when saying? When we all got together, everything was no, a good part. It, so, so I write songs. A lot of people that listen to the Don't Die podcast <laughs> like to hear about music. So the way I write songs, I only know three chords, Chuck. Okay. And because Joe Strummer said, all you need are three chords and the truth. Okay. Simultaneous to that, Durf Scratch of The Fear, who is now <laughs> passed and God rest his soul. The Fear. The Fear. The fear. He, he was... He was dynamite guy. He was an amazing guy. He was a fun guy, a kind guy, a great guy, and died of this disease. Um, anyways, I was a little kid. Durf was like 10 years older than me, and he was a meth addict, and I was trying to get away from heroin more towards the meth. You know how that works? Yes, I do. Well, I'm turning my Actually. back on the heroin addicts well, of, it's bad. of East Hollywood. Yeah. And I'm going to go hang out in West Hollywood with Durf Scratch and Ooh, do that. Great plan. Yeah. Fancy Think town. of that combo, Chuck. <laughs> this is 1983. Mm. Meth, West Hollywood, me and Durf in a room by ourselves. Whoa. <laughs> so, That's a picture. And he lived right behind... Gil Turner's liquor store at the end of the Sunset Strip. Ah, Turner right? Liquor. Ooh. And so we were tweaking, shooting speed and talking, and he taught me two chords. The way that you can hold a G with just the three fingers and then just move the top two fingers to make C, mm -hmm. he taught me that. I played that for four and a half straight days, dude. <laughs> G, C, two chords by just moving two fingers, just That's a tiny fantastic. bit apart. Yeah. So then later on, the great Peter Case Wait, taught me D. That's how you taught me D. <laughs> yeah, that's how I play G and C. I don't. I don't do the fancy thing where you switch all three yeah, fingers. There, you don't want to go this way. You go. <laughs> you this, haven't this. changed your style. So you, <laughs> and then I would. So I wrote like two songs that were just D, G and C, right? Peter Case teaches me a D. Oh, what a D. Bad. He had to go. Now that's hard. Yeah, no that matter is. how much meth you got. D is a hard chord to learn. Because the fingers yeah, are so close together. <laughs> Twisty one. <laughs> Guitar players know. So those are my three chords. So I had written under that, under, uh, look at that house up there with two chords. I think, I believe it's G and C. Dix, who was living with me in Richmond at the time, 
took that song and made that and that has been the story of my musical career whether it was the great mike mart whether it was the great dick stenny whether it was the great chris hansen or john fashanti or josh klinghoffer i always had somebody there to take my g and my c and make it into a song i see and and the best part of it i get all the credit for the songwriting right right is that amazing there's really not a career like that that you could have where you learn three chords two of which on drugs one of which on wine and you end up having a 20-year career playing music this is great because people probably really think you know how to play guitar (laughs) well i saw you on tv the other day playing guitar yeah those are that's that's two chords for Shanti. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't learn new chords along the last <laughs> you 35 stop. years. Okay. John Shanti. So I have this riff. Somebody showed me, a guy in a band, I forget what they were called, like uh, Urban something. He showed me how to play Rain Song by Led Zeppelin, right? It's a it's a cool <laughs> song, right? So, But it's way too hard. I know the ocean. So yeah. I caught on to these two little things he does right in the rain song i started playing that and i wrote the serial song kind of based uh, on that dun, right yeah and uh. then john was over at my house and i go i go is there like what should i do because i need other parts and i'm way up here on the neck i don't know what to do and he did those hard bar chords with this finger sticks down <laughs> across all the finger all the yeah. cor- all the strings right. that's an impossible chord uh, no. So but. then John said, <laughs> then John said, here, you know how to do E, right? And I said, of course I do. Of Are you kidding like, me? Do you think uh, I'm just G to C to D guy? I now know F and E and A. Wow. So John goes, you know how to make an E, just do E right here on the neck and then do E right here on the neck. Mm. And that will be the chorus. And so it's, what has it gotten me? Just some teeth I can't chew my favorite see. So I don't want to pop your bubble or anything. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, Mike. Mike, we were going so good. It was so <laughs> what is the guitar playing popped bubble? But, but it's all about the right hand, Bob. Anybody can play. Yeah, the I just court. strum it's as fast all, as my hand will strum it. When your right, when your when your right hand catches up with your left hand, that's when it starts getting good. Oh, well, I just strum as hard as I can, as fast as I can. <laughs> and there's a tempo that I have, which ironically is right out Pete Weiss's ultimate tempo too. So that's why so we're such a rock solid fit. Fit right. It just goes like full. Like that's the, that's the tempo, and that's it. So well, I that's... think I think right now we should play the entire song. Look at that house up there, because I I had gotten out of Hollywood. I thought I thought I had escaped undead, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I was living oh. in Richmond, and I was just drinking Chuck, just only drinking wine, not even hard liquor, not even hmm. Jägermeister. So not a it problem. Was not two a problem, and a man. half months of the greatest time of my life. <laughs> All right, here it is. Look at this house up there.
song. That's me. I wrote a song about how to save John because he was living in this house in Hollywood and I felt like I had, I had left him behind and he was going to perish. And I personally couldn't do anything about it because I was kind of consumed with wine and, <clears throat> and no money. But so that was my cry to Anthony Fleer to other people like go save him go do something look at that house up there somebody go save him somebody do something he's gonna die up there <laughs> why didn't you just call somebody <laughs> I wrote a song it would have been so much easier you could have I know you had phones back then you could have just called somebody and said you know John's up in that house it wouldn't have been as romantic instead you did this elaborate lassie so, thing so here's a foretelling see I use songs as therapy here's a foretelling Three years later, I would go knock on that door at that house up there, me and Flea, and John's life would change forever. And he did survive. Hmm. And that's what this, this whole Don't Die movement was about. Like, all of my friends are alive pretty much. We've only lost, like, three, right? Mike, Rob, Jeffrey, the gun club in particular. Not a great survival rate. <laughs> You're talking Rob, about 50% of the band is dead. But Bill Rob, Stobau, Jeffrey, but that was a Bill, was a, Bill was a complicated case. Bill was the original guitar player at Thelonious. He had heart valve replacement surgery from endocarditis. Okay. That's decades later, decades later, unrelated, no drug really, hadn't done drugs in decades, a blood clot caught on the, on the valve. Mm. Artificial valve? Stroke, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was uh. so sad. But if you wanted to be an AA Nazi, you could draw a line there. Well, because you wouldn't have had the endocarditis <laughs> yes, yes, if he hadn't yes, been a drinker. Yes, yes, yeah. there you go. Right. There you go. That argument. Yeah. That argument made mostly in Beverly Hills at like the Rodeo meeting or the Brentwood <laughs> meeting. That argument. He, he was shot while he was in France, but he wouldn't have been in France had he not gotten drunk and gotten Well, in Santa Monica, you couldn't even share about that <laughs> yeah you couldn't no drugs but listen the fact is very few of our circle of friends texacala i just watched a video of texacala playing the continental club last weekend nice how was it it was good oh good it was like it, it was weird seeing her with like 23 year old guys playing you know what i mean <laughs> oh, and playing no. mike songs uh, it was bizarre. kind of a little weird but, right. but she was good. And I, like, if Tex is alive, if Mike Mark's alive, <laughs> if I'm alive, if Fashante's alive, what the fuck is wrong with this millennial generation? Right. That, th that was really my, how do I get... They're being if, fed poison, man. That's true. I didn't really that's, know that at well, the time, they're, though. They're choosing to pure. take the poison, though. No, Ours but, was more of an art form, like pure. <laughs> well, no, but I didn't. Well, I started talking about don't die like eight years ago. I didn't really. I don't think fentanyl was the reason they were dying. I think stupidity was. No, yeah, there was a lot of overshooting the mark, yeah. wasn't it? But well, overshooting yeah. the mark. <clears throat> Let's just, That's like saying that we were smart when we were using. <laughs> well, Mike wasn't, but I was. I was oh, very yeah, cautious. Sure, yeah. <laughs> right. Here's right. here's the funny thing. Back in the day when I was hitting my bottom, bottom. Um, I had a great gal partner named Max. I love her still. She's the greatest gal. Um, and so I would be extra cautious. She would always load up the syringes, and I would be extra cautious, right? I would only do two-thirds of it or something. Turns out, years later, she tells me, you know, I always gave you way less. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> That's so fucked up. But she was saving my life, Chuck. Yeah. Imagine. 
And you did just fine. I did fine. I was strung out and ruined my life just as good as anybody else. And see, That's but right. you had someone who cared about you too, though. You were doing it with somebody you cared about. That that may be a big deal right she now. She knew that I was. Here's her reasoning. Well, you could I look drank at this two so ways. much. I drank so much it worried her. Like I drink like a fifth of vodka. She either cared a lot or she just wanted to get higher than you. Yeah, that's true. And you know, and you know, you can't if you if you trust somebody would load your syringe, you got to figure you're going to get ripped off. I'm a good friend. If I was loading one for you and one for me, I'd make sure you didn't do too much. Also, <laughs> Martine, every time Martine always brings up when I brought him or when I introduced him to the crack, I only gave him a little. <laughs> him, that's all you him, need to get him like going, you know. And then he had to buy more. Oh, there was. When he lived on, uh, where did he live? He lived on Heliotrope and Beverly, and he mm. and they dealt crack there at night on that little street above north of Beverly. And it's like a weird street where there's two roads and a middle divider part. And so they dealt crack standing in the middle divider part. And he was stopping doing crack. And, and we were getting it together. We were sober or something. And we go out to his car and there's two little crack triangles on his on his windshield wiper. What? Like they put it on there to get him going again. There you go. That's wrong. That's that's business. That's, Chuck. How, that's how much that's the dope business. dealers used to care. Here you go. <laughs> I don't know what's been wrong. I haven't seen you in a week. <laughs> Here's a little something for you, buddy. That would have worked. But but really, the the drug world that we, our generation, and most of us are the clinicians working in the rehabs, and this millennial generation, the way we use drugs was, I believe, more cautious. But even if I, even the fact that I had a girlfriend that knew I drank a, a fifth of vodka every day, and if I did too much dope, I'd die, You'd and she breathing, gave right. me less dope. I don't think there's that compassion going on no, in the dope. I community. don't think there is. But but we we talked about we've been around that where it's like the younger people I talk to, and I find it to be true more and more often. I mean. Uh, when you have over, about 5,000 people under 24 that died, overdosed in 2017, just under 24, that's a lot. Um, the, uh, when they say they, they want to be numb, they want to check out. They don't want to feel at all. They don't want to have fun. They don't want to go on adventures. They don't want to feel good. They want to feel nothing. And, that, and, the, and you would say that's caused by the vicious culture? I mean, we were living they say, under they Reagan. Say, they say we were stressed. living under Reagan. They say they're stressed from from the time they're super young. You know, I think they're spoiled and weak. <laughs> right? Oh what? No, I'm telling you, I didn't. For all practical purposes, I didn't have parents. My dad died when I was 15. My di mom died when I was 19. But I did have sisters and brother-in-laws and uncles and aunts and stuff. They they were done with me. Are you kidding? You're on fucking drugs. Get out of my fucking house, mm -hmm. you piece of shit. That's how the culture was towards drug addicts. I think that's a healthy thing. I think sitting around a family group supporting your 24-year-old boy who's never had a fucking job and didn't graduate high school and worrying about it, what he's feeling is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Some, you know, I, I tell you, I am... I think they I'm, should be on vacation in Hawaii not worrying about what he's feeling. I'm, I've become so addicted to that live PD thing. Live PD? I record it, and I and you got to fast forward through any time they try to clear a building. Can or, you watch or live think, PD? Yeah. It's like a four-hour show. No, it takes about an hour and a half if you watch it right. <laughs> but everybody they're pulling over, everybody they're having problems with, 
they all call their moms and dads, or they're all living <laughs> at their never. moms and Mike, dads' house. Mike, what would happen if when you were 17 years old and you were drunk driving and you got pulled over by the cops, if Don't you called call your dad, dad? What would happen if you called Mike? I knew Mike's dad. What if you called Mike, your dad, Mike? What would he say? Oh, he would just say, tough luck, kid. <laughs> yeah. Like what he would say. In fact, he did say that to me. <laughs> you know, it was so funny because on this one, and it's almost exactly what you're talking about. I remember getting arrested for next to nothing, but there's this kid. I, he looks like a kid because he's got dumb, dumb ponytail hair, and he's sitting outside a hotel room. And they go, "What's going on?" Uh, is on PD live? Yeah, on live PD. <laughs> you were obsessed. With, <laughs> and, well, you even know what the people look like. You, well, you're the, really watching this show. The mom called the police on the kid because they wanted him removed. She wanted them to remove him from her hotel room. And turns out he's 44. Oh my he's God. staying with his mom. So what do they do? They drive him down to the next hotel to get him a room there so that they can help him. Get a place to stay. Did? The cops do. He goes in. This wasn't in Orange County, California. No, this was in uh, Slidell, Louisiana. Slidell. Slidell, Louisiana. And and the place there kicked him out, wouldn't give him a room, so they took him to another hotel. The police did. Put him in the back of the police car and took him to another hotel. A 44-year-old man. A 44-year-old man. man. And he's drunk. And they he walks in there and they go, oh, no, not him. He there's with the Asian accent oh again, Mike. He did it again. <laughs> they were Asian. Did it? Did it come out like that? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, oh, so he walked dude. in and they go, "Oh no, not him." <laughs> He can't stay here. And they're like, dude, we can't take you anywhere. Let's go give you back to your mom. Oh, they brought and him they, back to his mother. And they brought him back to their, his mom. Oh. And his mom, they hugged it out. And they, they hugged it out. And then 20 minutes later, oh, we're going back to Slidell, Louisiana, to that <laughs> hotel room. And this time, mom says, he's cursing at me. He's got to go. And then they finally took him to jail. I After don't know. An hour of hour and a half of it, driving him around, dude. It was, but it's exactly what you're talking about. I don't remember the last time I I told a cop something rude, like you know, he was he was getting mouthy with the cops, where they didn't say, "Okay, watch your head," smack my head on the way into into the car, and then put me in. And I guarantee you, I I you know, I know for a fact uh, how many times I've been arrested. I've been arrested 19 times. Because right. I had a background check when I started to work for Dr. Drew. They're very careful about who they allowed to associate. And they let you through with only 19. Well, well, no, he assured them that it was all just drug stuff. But then, <laughs> but then the lady in the HR department, um, you know, like two days went past and I kept calling like, do you have the thing? Did you get the background check? There's no violent felonies. And, you know, and she says, well, we need to see you, Robert. And I went in and. And she goes, you know, Robert, you've been arrested 19 times. And I said, but only convicted twice. <laughs> <laughs> only two stuck. <laughs> only two that's, stuck. That's a big two. That's I don't know why you're <laughs> looking at the arrest. That's not the American way. Chuck, did you get, until did you get that? Did you get that Bob Forrest uh, innocent boy voice? <laughs> yeah, 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 like yeah. Talking to her with. Oh, so, that's so classic. So 19, 19 arrests, right? Never once did I call my family. Not one time. I remember the first arrest was at Disneyland. I called my girlfriend. Like, you got to get so-and-so to get me out. And Chris Hansen got me out. <laughs> that Chris name, Hansen, I think. This, of Chris the... Hansen got me out before Thelonious Monster had happened. How hmm. crazy is that? So you weren't even a somebody. I was <laughs> just a guy that needed to get out of Anaheim No wonder he was in the band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. We need Chris. <laughs> he gets people sprung from <laughs> what Mickey, Mickey 
penitentiary. Oh, He's a real details-oriented guy, Chris Hansen. And so, so I, I realized, like, yeah. And when I was in rehab, I never had family members come and be in family group. Never. It's my problem. It's my problem. I have the problem. Well, we know it affects the whole family, but... The family need to move on. Yeah. Like, what happened to that? I'm not saying tough love, all mean-spirited, but at a certain point, I've said it to my own oldest son, like, I don't know how to help you, dude. I don't know. I don't know. You know, that, that simple statement, because the, the, the rehab world tells you they know you need to come to family group and be involved in his recovery. How many families have done that? No, if they're going, no, if they're adolescents and they're going to be returning to the family home. Oh, yeah, home, that's 15-year-olds. We're talking about 30-year-olds. Right, but I just wanted to make sure that I, I got to get it clear in my head, because if they're, he- if they're heading back to the home, to the family of origin, then it's good to be able to set some ground rules. But even then, it's more tough love stuff. It's more Al Anon directed. It's more. See, I don't like the term tough love. I think it was a horrible name for it. How about just call it love? Love. My dad loved me more than anything. He would have never put up with the bullshit How that about I was. Hard love. Hard love? <laughs> Firm love. Oh, look at Chuck. Ch- <laughs> Mike, you can't see it. You're in, the, you're in the control room. Chuck is blushing right now. He just said a sex joke. He's blushing. He's red as a. <laughs> Unbelievable! You oh. just said a sex joke, oh, and, a, no. and you made yourself sweat. Oh, that's terrible! <laughs> I was just—I wanted to see that leaving Neverland, and oh, it's gone my, my God. mind. Oh my God! Oh, there's mm-hmm. another one that um, I forget who was telling me about this documentary. Uh, oh, Mike Carano, this comedian, saw this documentary about a cult leader that that in the Midwest at a church or something. Have you heard about this documentary? No. Oh, and he molests the children, and he has sex with the wife, and oh, they, there's too many documentaries. <laughs> and about he had sex with his wife. That's going. So, terrible. Yeah, he's like, he's, you know how those cult leaders are. No, they're having sex with everybody. Uh-huh. When you're when you're in a religious, I just want a, t- a tip for everyone listening. If you're in a religious organization that all of a sudden says you should start having sex with the leader, you should get out of that religious organization. Is that a fair statement? Okay, so don't stay. As get soon out. as the sex gets involved, okay, yeah, you know that that's when it becomes a cult. I think when yeah. the sex gets involved. It, but it's, wait, it's what sign. if God directs you? <laughs> That's what they always say. You know, know. isn't that stupid? I, I don't know. Last I checked, he was impregnating people from heaven, <laughs> not sending men down to did do it the work. One time, God only did that one time, as we all know. As the fairy tale goes, but, yes. But so, so I'm interested. You watch PD Live. I watch old Charlie Chan movies, and I'm obsessed with it. I've watched like nine of them. I don't like it because. I don't know if many people like old 30s and 40s Are movies. You Charlie but Chaplin? Charlie Chan. Charlie the Chan. The mystery uh, detective guy. He's a don't he's know. a Chinese detective. Oh. So it's on Amazon Prime. So I've watched him Chuck, all. Chuck, do your Asian. <laughs> oh, Charlie Chan. That's Charlie Chan's voice. Oh. That's him. I find you. So listen, though, about the Charlie Chan. So. For like eight of the movies, you know how they made movie after movie back then in the 30s and early 40s? So they must have made a movie every three months or something. So there's like eight of them have this guy, Sidney Tulver, is Charlie Chan. Then it switches over to this other guy. And he just acts <laughs> like the same guy. And they pretend... W- and it bothers me. Were they like 
taped eyelids, white yeah. guys. Oh, as that's Asians? Mr. Wong. So there's another thing called De- De- Detective Wong. I'm just sort of oh, watching. No. Oh, I went down because that... Amazon knows what you're watching, and then it keeps feeding you shit. That right? can't be right. So Mr. Wong is played by <laughs> Boris Karloff, who does have the tape in his oh, eyes to make himself look like okay. like a uh, it's from China. This but, is just getting really but so, weird. But man. no, but I so he's watching PD Live. I'm watching Charlie Chan. Mike Mart, what are you watching? Well, I, no, I'm saying that this, you know, this racial <laughs> stereotype of the no, Asian people. I don't know. No, I'm not gonna, doing it. I'm have, just saying I love the Chinese detective d- movies. What are you watching, Mike? What are you watching? Like the wind is blowing and the boat is tilting over. Don't you feel that? <laughs> no. What are you watching, Mike? Answer the question. I, I'm watching um, the man who. Killed Hitler and then then the Bigfoot. It's a Sam Elliott movie. It's out right now, 2019. Yeah, we, we were Sam gonna, Elliott man, plays the guy who killed Hitler. The we man who killed Hitler. The guy from Star is Born killed and Hitler then kill, and then killed Bigfoot. Well, he had to because Bigfoot was carrying a disease. Is and this he had like to Sharknado? No, or something. it's a real movie on TV. It got a right seventy-five we rent on, on Rotten Tomatoes. We saw it while we were waiting for you tonight. <laughs> oh we saw that it was there, and we, we, we did not rent it. We we should have, but we didn't. You didn't rent it. No. You could have rented it. I'm sorry, I'm late. I had to go to L.A. and Orange County in one wonderful swoop of a day. That's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. So uh, I thought we'd get into the tail end of the show. About Orange County because I followed a trail uh, of your thing. I I'm not mad at those kids. Those I'm kids, not either. Those kids only represent the ignorance of their parents, right? And That's so, what I said. So why can't we shame ignorant people? I say the parents should be punished. The parents well, should punished in what way? Like I, I, you know, I don't know. They should have to go to sen- well. Well, Amy, should, Amy was no saying. One, no one knows Amy what we're talking about. Saying, Okay, well, let's get into it. In no Newport knows. Beach, California, at a high school party, they were doing Nazi salutes and saying a bunch of Nazi stuff. And, of course, they're so smart there in Newport Beach, they posted it on social media yeah. with their faces on it. And the, and There's so many smart people in Orange t- County, t- Chuck. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why you defend I, it. I counted at least five <laughs> in that picture. Well, and, the, and they took their solo cups, their red solo cups, a, and a made a swastika out of it. Okay, and, and that became the top. A lot of you at home don't know literally every five minutes my phone beeps or vibrates or whatever with some text of this nine person chain we're on with all the don't die from milwaukee guys don't die sacramento and amy Mm -hmm. right the great and dave dopey dave uh writer and and comedian um and dopey dave and so the conversation was about these nazi things all day I really, I had seen it yesterday. I wasn't mad. I was like, that's another example of how, how hideous these parents are. Hideously ignorant. Hideously materialistic. Hideously superficial. With their Ugg boots and their fucking Mercedes-Benz <laughs> SUVs. I live part-time in Laguna. <laughs> yeah. I fucking shop next to these people at the Bonds on PCA. I like Ugg boots, They're but they make my feet sweat. They're disgusting human beings. Their only thing in life is to be seen well, perceived well, material wealth, salons, boutiques they're no philanthropy they don't care about those homeless people off the 57 freeway they think those people need to go back to mexico that is at the heart and soul of the parents 
of those children. I so agree. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with those children. So my thing was, in the old days, I was an old punk rocker, Chuck. I don't know if you remember. You were, hmm. you were younger. Hmm. You weren't a part of it. You insulted people <laughs> like that because it was a part of the punk rock credo. Keith Morris wrote a song called Century City. Beverly Hills, it's yep. fuck you rich people, you hypocrites, you fucking disgusting superficial pigs, fuck you. That's what punk rockers used to do to those people. Now you know what we do? After you. Oh, I need my Starbucks. Oh, look. And, and everybody's so nicey-nice all the time. You know what I say to them? I look down at the Ugg boots, I go, nice boots. Where'd you get them, online? <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, because they all wear Ugg boots. Don't well, you know? That's uh, the thing. It's wintertime. They yeah. all wear Ugg boots. You know, though, it's funny because this also, this comes up, it pops up everywhere. So these kids... Those children. ...got the instant celebrity that they all crave because it's more important than everything else. They've gotten it because everybody's talking about it. But when I talked to this, I was talking to this, uh, this lady I work with, and her uh, fiancé is from that whole area and so she discussed it with him and he was saying how uh he said it is it's a he, he says that it you know it's not just a game it's like like uh, kind of like when you're seeing like deers practice like headbutting each other with their new antlers they are they're trying on what they've seen they're they're trying on this uh Listen, I've been a lot of places in the world. I've lived in Richmond, Virginia, as I just said. I've lived in New York City. I've lived in Palm Springs. I've lived in Las Vegas. I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in Los Angeles. I've met hundreds of thousands of people, right? Mm -hmm. I know people. These people have no purpose. That whole Laguna Niguel, Laguna Beach Hills, Newport Beach, Balboa Island, they have no purpose other than I'm rich. I'm important. Right. Well, I'm rich. You, I'm important. You, and they're not. You're leading me there. You're leading me right to where, right where she ended it was with it, that she doesn't think it, it's a it's a racist thing as much as it's it is not an elite. It's an elitist thing. And she said, and you wouldn't be allowed to be a part of it. And I said, I know I wasn't allowed to be a part of those groups <laughs> when I was growing up because I was from those little houses on the other side of the river trail. You know, and so those guys, it's an elitist thing that I don't even think they begin to understand, but it is. It's something that they do in their upper echelon, uh, little enclaves that but we're not a part of. It's a sociopathology of the parents. It is a distinct generation, this, uh, this late baby boomers, early Gen Xers, my generation. We're a hideous generation, really. Hideously <laughs> hypocritical, hideously selfish, right? When you talk about the selfish baby boomers... You're not talking about the early baby boomers. They were close. They, they were pre-Eisenhower, right? You're talking about the late baby boomers, the late 50s, early 60s baby boomers. Those are the people that are self-obsessed, narcissistic, that were the ones that had our own bedrooms for the first time in American history. An mm. eight-year-old boy, me, had his own bedroom. By the time he was 11, he had a colored TV in his bedroom. That generation is the parents of those teenagers and they are responsible for the actions of their children right and and so when i saw all the all the media coverage and all the everybody's <clears throat> ideas of punish them you know except for mike said you know punish the parents but i didn't know how you meant to punish the parents mike Public i think shaming. they should have to go like amy <laughs> said to the holocaust museum charges should be brought and they should wait the what parents, charges okay like somebody needs to ask okay these are your kids 
Where is this coming from? I think they'll just they'll just get lawyers from Santa Ana or Costa Mesa and just placate the whole thing. I think they need to be You're publicly right. shamed. Materialism and material like the Kardashians and all this materialism that's destroying a fiber of our country needs to be socially checked in the moment that you're experiencing it. Yeah, they're probably down there just chuckling, you know, chuckling they, about they how oh, they go cute. down. Uh, listen, last two or three Christmases, I've gone to the Balboa Island boat show and all that bullshit. They're all drunken, meaningless lives. All those people. <laughs> They, ha- they lead meaningless lives. I try to tell them because, you know, sometimes I deal with their kids. I'm like, you know, what do you do to help the society? You know, you have this huge mansion and all the boat and everything. What do you, do you give back? Because if the, your children see you giving back, they will be more in line with giving back and thinking of others. But you want to sit there with your attitude of, of selfishness and yell at them for not thinking about other people because it embarrassed you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I just yep. find it all repulsive. And, and I think that in times when things are repulsive, certain parts of the society stepped up and said, you know what, it's repulsive, right? It's repulsive to be so materialistic. The Kardashians make me want to vomit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, but how do you change that? How do you change the You attitude? have to give people a power to say there are more important things than material wealth. There's caring about your community. I mean, we talked on this podcast for a year about those people living off the freeway. It fucking bothered me. I went there two times. I didn't know how to solve it, but I was so outraged that nobody cared. How do you give these people that that uh, sensibility, though? I mean, you can't enforce that sensibility yes, to people you can. who have you can. are completely Nan, ignorant. Listen, you can. Nan Golden is a great artist photographer from the eighties. She yes. has been shaming the Sackler family for five years. She has embarrassed them at all art shows. She has she has tried to destroy and erode their arrogant like entitlement to the the elite art world by rallying artists to say, you know what, you're taking money from fucking murderers. <laughs> These people are fucking murderers. And Nan Golden, the Sacklers are what is it, non gras? They're they're not welcome in the art world anymore. Because of one woman uniting a movement. Okay, there should be a group of artists that are vigilant and um, pursue these people and put up art, put up whatever they can to shame these people well, in met, the public. I've of met, the name. Yeah, I've met some of the kids that could do it. It's some of their own children. Some of their own children know how repulsive their parents are. They need You've to be dealt outed. with it. Wait yeah. a minute, Mike. You've dealt with it. I have. There's no Chuck has. There's there's these sensitive artist type kids that grew up in those communities, mm-hmm. and they they find their families' values repulsive. Yeah, correct. Well, at an at an early age, some of them. Yeah, some of them. That's their trauma that you're talking about. The PTSD is that they're feeling people in a non-feeling environment. A feeling. I like Mike. Do you hear that? I think Chuck just invented something. That's good. Feeling people born into a un- non-feeling environment. That's what material wealth is. It's a non-feeling environment. I mean, I see it. You know, I have some acquaintances that are like that. Like the cars and the, the purses and the clothes and the vacations and all that. Like, dude, what, what, what is that all about? 
Why, why does more people not stand up and go, dude, why do the friends of those people not stand up to them and go, dude, why don't you wake up to what's going on? Oh. Wake up. <coughs> Become alive. Your child is dying. Well, yeah, your I, child's I, a fucking Nazi, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. your, your child is putting on Instagram Nazi salutes, swastikas, and getting drunk when they're 16 years old. You think she'd wake up to the fact that you're a fucking parent? But they don't. They'll just go get a lawyer and go get you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and how dare you persecute my child. And for, I've never seen anything like yeah. it. It does not, that kind of materialistic, superficial kind of society does not exist 30 miles north. I know some people with tremendous wealth. They are not like those people in Newport Beach. They're not. There's something, it, it, it's a, something in the values of Newport Beach that created those children, right? And Newport Beach should do fucking soul searching and not blame those children. It's their fucking parents, right? Okay. Well, they had to learn it from somewhere. Let's get back they to fun to talking from- about music. <laughs> I like talking about music way more. So guess wow. what's happened at my house? What? Michael Jackson. In the middle of all this Michael Jackson oh, no. controversy, perfect timing. Sydney has become obsessed with it. She <clears throat> she was listening to it when I left. She listens to it when I got home. She's got the hat and the coat. She wants the glove. She's like, I need the glove. Mm-hmm. Where is the glove? You can't find a Michael. There's not a lot of Michael Jackson uh, kind of uh, uh, merchandise on the market right now. Since you he's should just- look online. <laughs> China's you know, making this it. This brings up a China, great point. China's probably making it. But Michael Jackson's taking a big hit the last couple of weeks. Oh, and yeah. it's weird that my daughter is becoming obsessed with him because I'm so happy she dances. She loves to dance just like him. Well, the music's undeniable. It's undeniably great. great. It's, it's great. I've been saying that forever. You know that. So people have been emailing me and texting me like, dude, I don't know about, <laughs> about posting the pictures of Sydney dancing really? to Michael Jackson right now. It's a little weird. <laughs> it's funny, dude. <laughs> Post some more, man. That's it's like a two-year-old child. Listen, you know what? Dancing to a pedophile's music. <laughs> Even more effective than we thought, apparently. <laughs> imagine, the, imagine the power that guy had. Wow. This has been a point of mine for a long time. You have to separate the art from the artist. You have to separate Clint Eastwood from his stupid, homophobic, racist views and all that stuff. You have to separate that and just watch his you movies. You love Clint Eastwood and you always bring up Clint Eastwood. You also have to separate the fact that Michael Jackson was a pedophile. Accused. Allegedly. A- allegedly. Never convicted. Oh my goodness. Just like me, never convicted. <laughs> He's only been convicted twice. Just like you have to separate Robert Maplethorpe from his art and from his, you know, I mean, just because he's had a fist up his ass or something doesn't mean wow. that I'm going to uh, <laughs> right say that he's not a great, great artist because he well, is try a great to artist. go find to Michael separate. Jackson on um, YouTube right now. You can't find it. They've pulled it. Really? Yeah. It's ridiculous. So, so anyway, so she's obsessed with Michael Jackson. It's got me back into Michael Jackson. I was actually doing my Michael Jackson dance last night. I'd like all to see that. All of us. I've got some ones. All of us loved Michael Jackson. There's no doubt. I've never met a person who's in like ABC or I Want You Back or Gotta Be Starting Something or Off the Wall. Or it's amazing. It's amazing the music that guy made. Hmm. Right? And it, and it, it, 
it's just a really difficult time right now <laughs> to be podcast. a Michael Jackson fan. <laughs> this podcast has gotten us into like some fucking weird area. You know, it is. With the Asian speak, with the rich people being but the fucking Newport people and the <laughs> child. We're just off the fucking charts here. We're off here. the rails. Oh, my God. But you know that whole, that whole Quincy thing? Was it the Quincy movie where he was talking so much about Michael? And he was talking about how he brought in you know 200 songs to choose from to make a record it wasn't like it just happened it wasn't like michael was alone in it it was very well put together and then he quincy knew how jones to make records. quincy jones was the man and he was he was the man but he he also knew who to put in the place and he knew michael had the talent and he and he pulled him out of a um, obscure uh, he was so you, he are, are you agreeing with mike are you agreeing with mike that you can separate the artist from the man I always do. Or the boy, I have or the for child, a long, the or artist, the art from the art from the, the artist. Well, because, well, I let's, I, let's talk about examples of that. Okay, okay. Um, who whose politics do you not like, but you like their music? Most people's. Um, oh, that's a good question, Bob. That is a great question. I, I think I think a lot of the musicians I really like are so far out there because they don't live in an, where I do. My first, my first. Ted Nugent. My first, oh yeah, I love. You Ted, have, I do love Ted. Nugent. You would have to say Ted Nugent. Ted He's Nugent. such an asshole. The first five with albums. The whoa, 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 let's not. Let's not. Let's not resort to name calling. That's what. Oh uh, shut <laughs> up, Chuck. God, come on. Fucking call somebody a name, would guy, you? That's the guy that imitates Asian motel uh, owners. I did not. We can't, we can't tell. Don't call let me, him. No, let me tell you something. My bridge was Merle Haggard because Top Jimmy turned me on to Merle Haggard. I loved him. You know, this is probably 81, 82, right? I just became obsessed with Merle Haggard. Then all of a sudden, I realized, oh, my God, he's kind of a fucking... Right. He's kind of, a, you know, the Oki from the Stogie. Right, yeah, Redneck, Redneck right wing. And I had to say, I like him anyways. He's right, the greatest right. country songwriter but, going. I like him anyways. Now, Willie is the other side of that. Willie's politics I like and his attitude I like, right? His music... <laughs> Was not as good as Merle's over that ten-year period of time, Still right? Not. Huh? I Still know not. Willie makes a lot of bad records. Yep. <laughs> Wait, let, Mike's the genius songwriter. Who's a better songwriter, Willie Nelson or Merle Haggard? Merle Haggard is definitely a better <laughs> ten times over. Ten times it's over. Crazy, than right? Willie Nelson. It's yeah, crazy. Willie Nelson ruined a bunch of songs that he fucking covered. <laughs> in my opinion, he ruined Towns Van Zandt's. Uh, but he also wrote "Blue Eyes Kind in the Rain," and he wrote great songs, but he not at the consistent level of excellence that Merle Haggard did from probably sixty-eight to like eighty-five. I mean. The amazing song. I like Willie wrote. Nelson's uh, "Country Man" uh, record that was all reggae. <laughs> Willie he Nelson did, he did, did a, a reggae, reggae record. record. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. Maybe it's this amount of output that he has. <laughs> but but so Merle Haggard, uh, I finally had to say, you know, I know he's I know he voted for Reagan, but I like him anyways. That's a growing and an accepting of that the world doesn't have to be the way you want it to be. But now take it to the extreme. Michael Jackson is an accused, multiple decade accused pedophile. Can you just bridge that and just say no, his music? I don't know. It's I'm telling so you, different. I'm listening to it, and that's all I'm thinking about. We shouldn't be listening to this. It's the greatest music in R&B and, and pop music, but he was a terrible person. 
Uh, I there was a lot of people involved in making that music too, right? But you know, Quincy Jones, like yeah, but that's like, this is it, that's a almost totally different, and it's something I have to really think about, and just maybe just look at the music and not the man. But like you, you, you brought up Ted Nugent. Now Ted Nugent and Morrissey are polar opposites musically and with the way they live Ted their Nugent's life. Ted Nugent's a better songwriter. And Ted but, Nugent is a better songwriter. But no, oh my I God. like Scratch Fever, dude. But I like them both. I love this miss as much as I loved um, as much as I no, loved Ted Nugent when I was no, younger. No, you no. I got to make a rule. There's I, rules to to this rock talk. Let's call it. <laughs> there are it. rules. You, when you say the word Morrissey, that can't mean the Smiths. It only means means Morrissey. Be, uh, no, 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 you no, can't. no, 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 no. If you're gonna say the Smiths, yes, I would agree. The Smiths are better than Ted Nugent. Okay, but, but Morrissey but is not better than okay, Ted Nugent. Well, well, then let's just look at the personalities there of the singers. Okay, be, but that's because, a great because what I want to say is that I don't agree with Morrissey and I don't agree with Ted Nugent, but I respect that they believe what they believe and they stand up for it. And they are viciously attacked for it, both of them. Right. And they stand their ground anyhow, and they're not weak. And they're not... Dude, that's... Uh, you that, you, you know, know, you know what he's saying? In an in a era when nobody stands up and says what they believe, dare it might hurt their brand, those oh, two guys stand up and say, fuck you, if you don't day. like me, you know who else does that is Eminem. Right. Fuck you, 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 you don't up. like me, fuck you. Um and I wish more artists did that. I think this is a, a, another thing where the arts are letting the society down. Morrissey and Nugent, you have two such extremes. I mean, Nugent poses with fucking And Morrissey animals. doesn't Shoots allow his meat to be served at his shows. He will not play in a venue. Right, yeah, so. I mean, it's his fucking exactly. show. It's his stage. Is Mike pro Morrissey? I love Morrissey. I, and, I, and I love Morrissey. <laughs> and, no, wait. And, and I, and I grew up listening you, to Uncle I, Ted. I have to clarify for those at home that feel like I do. Are you saying Morrissey? Are you saying Smiths? Because there is no better band in the 80s than the Smiths, and there is a thousand better artists, uh, uh, solo artists than Morrissey in the 90s and 2000s. Here's my argument with Morrissey, is your artists need to be fucking crazy, fucked up, out of their mind yeah. people. It makes them interesting. Just like Ted Nugent is kind of interesting in a weird, odd, weird way. The Smiths were amazing. I was so disappointed in Morrissey the Smiths were one of my favorite bands of all time. And to turn around and be mediocre or just mid-level oh, or just all right, yeah. compared to the greatness, There's, the, the, right. you're talking about four masterpiece albums. Mm -hmm. It's like saying that Jimmy Page and, and, and David Page? Coverdale are as good as Led Zeppelin. It's yeah, yeah. not. Morrissey no, was no, the Smiths. he really wasn't. No, Johnny Marr wrote the song. The the two were the Smiths were the uh, legally were Marr and Morrissey. That's why when the record company sued for more albums, they sued Moore and Morrissey. M Marr and, and Morrissey. Morrissey. And they didn't go after or uh There's very Mark, few bands. There's Andy very Mark few and bands. Joyce, like Mike Joy Joyce. Division didn't have the chance to make five or six albums. But but when you go to New Order, it's not the same. It's not as no. it's not joy division. And, and they sold they so, sold more, and it really was Stephen then, Street working with Morrissey was such a letdown because I thought that like most people that he was the band, and and it turns out that it was no, a true partnership. No, and that, somebody the, the, has to tell the artist no. The best example of that is Axl Rose, right? You're talking about 
Use your illusion. Have you listened to those albums? Yeah, no. They're fucking amazing. No, I, I haven't. I stopped so after that's Appetite. him indulged, but still having Slash and Duff and Izzy around to say, dude, fucking come on now. Try a little harder, right? Tighten it up. Get a little more serious. When he didn't have Izzy, Slash, and Duff around to tell him, hey, come on, let's work a little harder. Let's try to think that through. You get Chinese democracy right people need each other to write great songs i needed dixon mike and chris and mm -hmm. kk you when you go off on your own you're not going to be as good as you could be with people who know you and you know how to write songs with and that's my pet peeve that that that, that wait a minute what they're, about your they're not as good as songs <laughs> monster <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry i mean I, you know they, they're not as good as Thelonious monster listen i'll tell you what Thelonious monster bummed my life out Stormy Weather are really good records. Two records, really good. The Bicycle Thief is a different kind of record. It's as good as that. But that was a band too. That wasn't just me with some studio musicians, yeah. right? So that, you need that person to tell you to work harder or to fucking, I don't like that. Or that's, you know, we don't need a song about that. Right. I've had Pete Weiss tell me, we don't need a song about that, Bucky. We've got four Four poor Bobby songs already. That's what he used to call four them. Four poor Bobby We got songs. four poor Bobby songs. That's all we need for a record. We need some other types of songs. Nobody's telling Axel that. Nobody's told Morrissey that in 25 years. And it's pretty obvious from his records. Nobody, just like a basketball team. When nobody, when nobody calls out LeBron James, like, you're not playing defense. Stop blaming these little kids. You're not playing defense. It's your team. Yeah. Well, right? Somebody has to call you out, and solo artists don't get called out. That's why their their music is often subpar. So that's just my take on music. The bands always should have stayed together. Thelonious should have stayed together. I should have never left solo. That that, that. there's a lot of bands that just should have broken up. <laughs> True. <laughs> Which ones, Mike? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention any names or or friends. I could name about. You know, I could name you know, about twenty of them. There, there, there are some um, Morrissey stuff he did with Bosborough and Alan White that are really good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not you. saying it's not good, but nothing compared to it wasn't. To the it wasn't the brilliance of the Smiths and, for and, sure. And it's sad that they can't just let bygones be bygones and see if they can make another record. That's the interesting thing. So many bands have these 20-year gaps. Can you make something as good as you made before, right? You know what I mean? If the Smiths were to get together, finally put all differences aside, get the four of those guys in rehearsal space and, and throw some ideas out and start writing some songs, see if you could do it again. I'd be happy that, just to go see them play. Ted Nugent and Ashbury <laughs> Dukes. Bring that up. <laughs> all right, we'll leave it at that, ladies and gentlemen. This is another episode of Don't Die, and you may wonder, why are they not talking about drugs so much? We don't know what to do anymore. We need your emails and, and whatever, because we already solved the dying problem. Nobody's dying anymore. The death rate is plummeting. Oh, the yeah. death rate is I plummeting, forgot. I hate to tell it's you. It's awareness. It's awareness. I know. It's so awareness. maybe we need to do a Don't Whine podcast <laughs> don't, don't, whine. Whine. <laughs> don't complain don't complain don't die, but first yeah, don't so whine before you die. don't complain don't die when you're done not dying don't complain when you're done all right well we'll see you next time bye bye play the uh, outro bye everybody
this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.